Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm Sean Duffy, along with my co-host for the podcast, my partner in life, and my wife, Rachel Campos Duffy. It's great to be back, Sean. I wish we were back under better circumstances. But as you know, um, we've had this terror attack from Hamas on Israel and all hell appears to have broken loose. And, you know, a lot of people are asking, how did this happen? What happened? How did this how did the security failure happen? But also, what are the circumstances that led up to this? And, and, And does America have a role in that? I think that's that's the important question that we have. And I want to lay out a few things that uh, that that Barack Obama and Joe Biden have done to facilitate not just the strength of Hamas and Hezbollah as well, which leads back to the strength of Iran, but also the strength of Russia, all leading to chaos in the world. So go back to uh, the Obama presidency. Joe Biden's the vice president and Barack Obama struck the Iran deal with the Iranians, which many of us, I was in Congress at the time, concluded that it was going to guarantee that Iran would eventually get a nuclear weapon. There was a lot of pushback, bipartisan, um, on this proposed deal. Donald Trump wins the presidency, and he blows up that agreement, at least for the U.S. Joe Biden gets the presidency and renegotiates and re-engages in the Iran deal, again, guaranteeing Iran a nuclear weapon, Rachel. And that's not surprising because, as you know, Joe Biden is not really in control, right? And so the person who's really running everything, and there are lots and lots of articles written about this and, and, and evidence of the Obama holdovers that are there, but also the back and forth between the mansion and D.C. that Joe uh, that Barack Obama has and the White House. Um, there's a lot of back and forth there. And this was the signature issue, the Iran deal for the Obama administration. And one of the reasons why they were so distraught, one of the many reasons that they were so distraught when Donald Trump won was that this Iran deal would be put on ice. And in fact, Sean, John Kerry, um, there's evidence that he, even though, you know, Democrats weren't in power and Donald Trump was in, t- in power, that he was still in communication with the Iranians, trying to keep it alive for when a Democrat could come back into power. Yeah, and in most common sense thinking Americans were like, what is the purpose behind the Iran deal? Why, are, why is 
Why are Democrats engaging in this deal with a state sponsor of terror? What is the purpose of it? How does it benefit America? How does it benefit the Middle East? And there are really no good answers to those questions. It's, it's just that uh, the Obama administration with Joe Biden wanted to normalize relationships with Iran. And as as it's, as, it's really an obsession, Sean, it's it's really an obsession. And many people think it has a lot to do with Valerie Jarrett, who is sort of like the right hand person for Barack Obama. Some people call her her mommy, I do, his mommy. I do. Um, but they're very tight. And she is has been obsessed as well with the Iran deal. And so when Donald Trump pulled the U.S. out of the Iran deal, um, what he did is implemented what he called maximum pressure on Iran um, and put sanctions on the country, limited their ability to sell oil around the world. And their main revenue source has been oil. And so if they can't sell it, um, they get thrown back into the dark ages. And to great effect, Donald Trump's maximum pressure was working on Iran. Joe Biden gets a presidency. He takes that pressure off. And in essence, Iran wasn't really selling any uh, oil on the global stage. There's different reports, but Iran is at least selling 1.5 million barrels of oil a day. It could be as high as 3.5 million barrels of oil a day, which means that they're bringing in billions of dollars of new revenue. Not only that, yeah, I mean, but... What is so the many word? people talking about the $6 billion, they probably, they, they've estimated to have made about 40 to $50 billion off the oil sales. That's right. And it's because when Joe Biden has, thinks the greatest threat to the world, to the United States of America, is global warming, and he shut down American energy, oil and gas exploration, uh, what happens is you drive up the cost of oil. It's simple supply and demand. And so Russia and Iran are both making more money off every barrel they sell because Joe Biden has crippled the U.S. oil and gas industry. So profits are higher. Now, just, but just to be clear on this, Iran is selling a majority of its oil to China and China gets a better deal on the price of that oil. It's less than the market value. But still, when the market value of oil increases, Iran is still making a lot more money because of Joe Biden's policy, one, allowing them to, to sell the oil and two, driving up the price of oil because he's crippled U.S. supply. Um, Rachel, you mentioned the $6 billion. Joe Biden on for $6 billion for Iran to access. What, a week before uh, Iran, uh, or say Hamas, but Hamas backed by Iran attacked Israel. There's new information right now, and this, is, this has not been confirmed. And uh, the U.S. taxpayer gives oil, I guess oil, gives money um, to the Palestinians for aid to the tune of billions of dollars. There's now evidence and reporting, especially from Republican senators, that a billion dollars of U.S. aid under Joe Biden's presidency, um, taxpayer money, actually went to Hamas, the terrorists who invaded and attacked Israel. So again, funding the terror. But this, Rachel, I want to bring up this final uh, point, which I think a lot of people have forgot about. Go back to the Obama years. I was on the Financial Service Committee, and we oversaw the Treasury Department and a lot more. But um, Joe Biden and Barack Obama were secretly trying to pay $1.7 billion to the Iranians. And they were able to get $400 million of that $1.7 billion in cash on crates in all different kinds of currencies that they actually flew from the U.S. to Iran. 
I, it all goes back to a, a, a U.S. oil, uh, not oil, a U.S. Uh, arms sale that uh, the U.S. made was paid for before the Ayatollah took over. The arms weren't delivered, but the money was given. So Barack Obama dis, uh, uh, resolved the dispute and paid a really high interest rate on the alleged money that was owed to Iran. And again, you look right. at you. These look, are the famous pallets of cash pallets of that cash. were given. Right. Yeah. So, you, so this is what I want to talk uh, on the podcast about. You put all of this together, and I listened to Joe Biden talking about he's a great friend of Israel and cares about the the Jewish people. But then you look at what he has done, what his administration has done to enrich and empower Iran, which then empowers and funds Hamas and Hezbollah. Joe Biden is no friend of Israel. Everything that he and his administration has done, along with many of the Democrats that think the same way that he does, has only made them more powerful, stronger, wealthier, more well-funded, and more emboldened to make attacks on friendly neighbors. You have to just wonder why. I mean, it's just a big question mark. Like you said, when, when the Iran deal was first proposed by Barack Obama, it was obvious that to you, you were in Congress at the time, and all of your colleagues, that this would only embolden, empower, and enrich the Iranian regime. And yet they moved forward with it. They've held on tight to it. As I've said, they're obsessed with it. Those pallets of cash that came came to Iran in, in the middle of the night, they were just dead set on doing that. And what's interesting to me is you could almost forgive the Obama administration for believing this could help somehow slow down. I mean, I don't see how, but you could almost say, okay, well, they're trying that. They're trying this this new way. Um, it didn't work. And then Donald Trump comes into office and ends up bringing in the Abraham Accords and, you know, doing negotiations and bringing about peace negotiations with the Saudis and, and, and many of the other um, non-Iranian um, countries in the Middle East and including Israel. And suddenly you were seeing peace um, blossoming in a place that could never, you know, we've never seen that before in that way. It was a brilliant move. Um, this weekend, Sean, we, we this past weekend on the on Fox and Friends, you know, I, I talk a lot about peace because I believe in peace as a Christian. I, I have to believe in peace. That's the way that things should be. And it, might have years ago seemed Pollyanna-ish to talk about peace in the Middle East, but it's not. We saw that it could happen, um, and it and it involved isolating Iran and bringing the other um, countries in the region together. Um, and there's all kinds of alliances and and issues that go really deep into history with with all of these different nations. Um, but somehow Donald Trump and his team, and you have to give credit to Jared Kushner, figured out through the Abraham Accords a way to um, unite these countries and sort of have Iran on the other side. And we saw peace. And then in came and we saw Joe, Biden. Joe Biden. Yeah. And well, then he went right back to what wasn't working. It's crazy. I don't know if I have a different opinion on you than this, Rachel, but I agree. I think we're a peaceful people. Um, we're a peaceful family. We uh, people want peace. They don't. They don't like people. Don't like war. It it costs a lot of treasure, a lot of blood, um, and it's 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 misery. 
But we had peace in the world for the most part because America was strong, right? A lot of bad actors were afraid of American economic strength and military power. And if you look at the slow slide that started with Barack Obama and has been so much more amplified under the Joe Biden presidency, we're seen as a weak nation. We're not economically strong. We're $33 trillion in debt. We look at the military and you have a, you have a, a president who hired people not based on their skill sets, not based on their merit, not based on their expertise, but based on whether they are transgender, they're gay, they're a minority. Those are the reasons why Joe Biden made hiring decisions. And you look, it's, it is the island of misfit toys when you look at his, um, at, at his, at his advisors and you go, of course, the, the rest of the world laughs at us. This is a joke to the rest of the world. And Joe Biden thinks he's leading the way. They see weakness. And so they take action in really profound ways. Um, again, whether it's Hamas and potentially Hezbollah by, the, by Iran support attacking Israel. I mean, again, and Israel has a fight on its hands, but also the war in Ukraine, Russia attacking. And what seems to happen through American weakness is that you see so many Americans saying, and it's America's responsibility, even though you're $33 trillion in debt, it's our responsibility to fund these wars. And I go, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm about helping people. I'm about being a, a good neighbor, even selling weapons. But when did it become the U.S. taxpayer's job to fund every single war of every single ally that we have, especially when those allies have more money than we have? Right. Right. You know, Sean, by the way, we if you just want to look at two different debt levels. So in in Israel, every single Israeli citizen has sixteen thousand dollars of debt in America. If you divided our debt out, um, it would be ninety eight dollars. And that's for every woman, man, and child. So, so not just know, the taxpayer, between, every uh, newborn baby, right? Almost a hundred baby, thousand dollars, almost a hundred thousand versus sixteen thousand. Um, so I, I want to talk about energy. Because can, can I be just really, so can, can I make one last sure. point on that, Rachel? I want to be really clear. Yeah, I, I support Israel. I'm aghast at Hamas. I'm outraged by what they've done. I want the U.S. to be helpful, um, but I also don't want the burden to fall on the taxpayer, especially when we don't have the capability, we don't have the resources. Um, we're too far in debt yeah, right now. And that's, that's the only point yeah. that I'm making with that. Um, yeah. And well, you, it, we're, we're pretty generous. I think we give three, three billion a year we to do. Israel and, and we obviously are, are providing weapons. I'm assuming that they're paying for some of them at least. Um, but it just is an interesting thing that, you know, and, and, and Israel isn't alone. There, there are many countries that we give money to um, that have lower debt levels per capita than than we do. And yet we are always sort of like the piggy bank of the world. And now, you know, in many ways, um, we put ourselves in this position. Uh, you know, we were energy independent under Donald Trump. And that that energy independence, that energy power also powered our national security, made us safer in many ways. And in right now, you know, we're begging for oil from from Iran, from Venezuela. Um, and it just doesn't make sense to me, Sean, when it's so obvious. I mean, right now, the first response for America, in my opinion, 
to what's happened in in Hamas uh, with uh, um, in in the Middle East with Hamas, one of the first things we should be looking at is our energy policy. Of course, um, we're this this is this is a little tinderbox that could explode at any moment, and we could we're maybe are in for an oil shock. We had your friends, uh, uh, is it Phil Flynn? Phil Sean? Flynn, yeah. Oil expert. Yeah, Phil Flynn. He's a he's an energy expert on. We had him on last weekend on Fox and Friends. And he talked about how volatile this is and what would happen to the American economy if the Straits of Hormuz were closed or if some other incident happened in in, in the Middle East, uh, you know, that would, you know, contract our oil, our, our ability to access oil. And as you know, Sean, we also have our strategic oil supply is nearly depleted. I mean, this is like the worst case scenario. Yeah, Joe Biden has uh, put America at risk. And so just to uh, put a point on, on, on what you just said, Rachel, by producing more American energy, you increase the global supply of oil, which will drop the price per barrel of oil, giving less revenue, less money to places like Russia and Iran. Really important point. And just uh, uh, last week, it was last week or early this week, um, uh, a, a new report was put out that the U.S. now produces more oil than we did under the um, largest year of Donald Trump right before the pandemic. Uh, and I, I asked the question, is that true? Did, is, that, is, that is that actually accurate? And it is. So we're back and now above the highest producing year of Donald Trump. But what energy experts will say is, that, though that is true, we could be producing 15 to 20 percent more oil than we are right now if Joe Biden hadn't put the clamps on American energy. And so, again, this powerhouse in the energy space, the United States of America, has been beaten down by Joe Biden because Joe Biden thinks the greatest threat to the world is climate change. And climate change is a threat, but it's not the change of temperature. It is the instability that it causes in the world that causes war and conflict and people die. And that is the real threat of Joe Biden's climate change. By the way, just one other point on that, Rachel. There's a strike right now, and it has, it's not getting as much co coverage, but the UAW strike, the auto worker strike with the yeah, American Big Three. that kind of fell Three. off the headlines, yeah, didn't it? <laughs> it did. But one of, the, one of the issues that's at play with, the, with this strike is... The, the, the mandate from Joe Biden to go from the combustion engine to EVs. And the auto workers are angry about it because it takes a lot less auto workers to produce an EV versus a combustion engine. And by the way, those, those EVs are much more expensive. And so the auto workers are like, listen, the union's like, we're going to lose a ton of jobs because of that. If Joe Biden came to the table and said, I'm going to take away this mandate, we're going to put it in the trash heap, a resolution. Uh, between management and the auto workers would be not that far away. Um, but right now, what's we're going to this strike is going to put um, our big three in a financial pinch. And I guarantee you, Rachel, they're going to come to the federal government and say, because of this strike, now we need more money. We need a bailout because Joe Biden is trying to make this transition uh, to EVs. And so the, 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 this, it is, this policy has created so many problems, and we're just, touch, we're just touching on a couple of them, but it's wreaking havoc when you don't look at what, is, what do people want to buy? What is, the, what is the market demand 
as opposed to a fascist that. economy where you go like, no, I'm, I'm the dictator. The dictator is going to tell you what you want to buy and what you're going to buy. That, <laughs> it's been tried. That never works. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. You know, the other part of this is back to national security. Why would we want to be, you have to ask yourself with, with Joe Biden, why would Joe Biden want us to move to EVs, which would make us more dependent on China for the batteries? And this then brings up, is he compromised? We know that he has deals with the Chinese. We know that the Chinese have something over him that he, you know, they, 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 they know more than, than, than our public knows about what, uh, more than the American public knows about what um, Joe Biden has and, and Hunter Biden have been doing in China um, financially to enrich their families. And so you have to ask yourself, why would you want us to move to EVs when that's also not good for our national security to be dependent on China uh, for vehicles? You know, it's a good point. Most presidents look out for the benefit of their citizens and, and their country. It's, it's really the idea of America first. And Joe Biden has, does not have the philosophy of putting America first, which is why his poll numbers are so low. I mean, he's sitting in the low 40s, high 30s for approval. Uh, in many new polls, Donald Trump is actually beating him in, 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 the, in the polling. And it's because of the policies and the philosophy that he has. Rachel, I want to do a podcast on this um, uh, in a couple of weeks, but I just went to a homesteading conference where it's not about, I want to be a farmer and make a living off farming. Homesteading is people who are buying a piece of land and they're like, listen, I want to be more sustainable. I want to be able to grow some vegetables and learn how to can. And I'm going to have some chickens and eggs and a cow maybe, and maybe some pigs. They're trying to be self-sufficient and eat the things that they grow on their property Going back a hundred years, that's what Americans used to do. And that was the dream is being able to be self-sufficient. And what's happened is I, was, I, was, I talked to a lot of people and I'm going to bring one of the guys, one of the presenters um, from the Homesteaders Conference on our podcast. Great guy. But many people are, they're freaking out. They see American weakness. They see American policies. They see crime in their streets. They see stupidity from their leaders and they get really nervous. They get really agitated and what they, and, and also it goes back to uh, the pandemic in 2020 when they went to the grocery store and were like, there's nothing on the shelf. I can't, I can't buy certain things. Right. All of those things together have made people go, I need to be more reliant on me, not on uh, a system um, of a global supply chain and a government and 
concrete and all the things that we rely on now, people are going to, or, or there's, a, or there's a real movement of people going to a more simple but self-sustaining life. It's fascinating, but it, it feeds into the conversation that we're having right now. A lot of people are afraid of not just Joe Biden, but a lot of people who are in positions of leadership that go to the World Economic Forum that are pushing this set of, these set of principles around the world. And again, people have been like, I got to find a different way. Fascinating. Yeah, you know what else is making them nervous? And we're going to also do a podcast on this, hopefully with Representative Massey or Representative Sparts, and that is the vax. They're using, they're, they're working on using uh, they want to vaccinate people through their vegetables. And so that's another reason why people are like, I want to grow my own vegetables. Um, I don't want my government putting, you know, other things into my vegetables and doing things to my body that I did not consent to. So so that's that's another uh, part of, of this. But yeah, I mean, people are skittish. People are nervous. By the way, Sean, uh, when Joe Biden went to Israel, um, in Israel, he met with some of the families of the victims of this horrific terrorist attack. And these poor people have had to endure what so many of our citizens who have been traumatized by um, an event, whether it's, you know, the the families who were bereaved after um, the attack on the Afghanistan Kabul airport um, and several other national events that have happened in our country where Joe Biden has had to meet with bereaved families and he ends up bringing up his son, um, you know, uh, die, Bo dying. In this case, he met with these victims from the Hamas um, uh, terrorist attack and started talking to them about a car, the car accident that um, his, his, his first wife was in that killed her and his daughter. Again, I know he's supposedly trying to connect with um, these families, but it, it it's gotten to the point where it, it's not working. What you're doing is making everything about yourself. It's this weird narcissism. Um, yeah, it's horrible to be in a car accident. I know I was in a horrific car accident where everybody in the accident died except for me. It's terrible, but it has nothing to do with a terrorist attack where you're brought in, you know, you know, terrorists show up at your house in the middle of the night and kill your child in front of you. I mean, behead them. This is the most ridiculous, crazy thing. Um, and and sadly, these poor people have been subjected to it themselves. No, it's, it's a really good point. When he brings this uh, up, it, it seems to always fall flat uh, with yeah. the, the families not, of the victims. It doesn't feel sincere. That's right. It doesn't feel sincere. It's it feels like this formula, this like, you know, and, and it also feels narcissistic. Stop talking about yourself. Stop. I, I want you to talk about me and, and my loss and my loved one. Um, that's right. what that's what people want. I want to talk about two more things, Rachel, because when when you see the the, the again, this was a as we mentioned, a horrific terror attack from Hamas on Israel. Then you come back to your own country and you're like, but a lot of young people of fighting age from countries all over this region have come to Central American countries or to Mexico, and they're making their way into the United States of America. This is concerning. And Joe Biden hasn't taken any steps to shut down our border. It's it's a bigger crisis now than it ever was over the course of his presidency. And again, it begs the question, 
what are you doing, Joe? You're supposed to keep Americans safe. And so when uh-huh. when when uh, when Hamas, I think it was Hamas or Iran came out with their day of rage um, and people took to the streets, you look you have a, a lot of uh, Hamas sympathizers throughout the country. In New York City, you have some of the some of the most prolific pro Hamas rallies taking place, college campuses where these rallies are taking place. But you have a border where you're allowing people that you have no idea who they are. You don't know their background. You don't know their hearts. You don't know their intentions. And you're letting them into our country, setting the American people up to be victims again of another terrorist attack. And Joe Biden, he's not stupid. There's a reason and a purpose behind why he's doing this. And again, I, 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 I don't know what it is, but my gut feeling is it is... It, it, there's bad intent. There's bad intentions um, because there is there is no clear-eyed person that would look at the southern border policy and go, this benefits the American people and the American future. No, of course it doesn't. If you want the answer, Sean, you just have to walk down to Barack Obama's mansion. By the way, no president has ever stayed in Washington, D.C. the way Barack Obama has. Uh, I think there might have been one president, I think it was a medical reason why they they couldn't leave D.C., but presidents, when they're done, they leave, except Barack Obama. And this was all intentional. Um, Joe Biden was never mentally ready to take over a job. But as you can see, we're in this totally um, crazy political moment that he's not prepared to deal with. And it's being dealt with by, um, you know, Barack Obama and his and and his holdovers, some of them in, in the, uh, you know, in the Biden administration. and. Barack Obama's ideas were terrible. And all you have to do is look to, you know, four years later at at Donald Trump's presidency, and especially when it came to foreign policy and keeping the peace around the world so we could keep the focus on America. Um, That was what he did. And even now, Sean, it's been interesting. If you're on social media, if you're on, um, you know, listening to, to podcasts, you'll hear, you know, every now and then, um, really interesting stuff from Democrats who are finally coming around to saying, gosh, I didn't like the mean tweets. Um, I, I wasn't a fan of Orange Man, but let's all be fair and admit that the world was a safer place under Donald Trump, that his sort of pragmatic America first way of looking at the world, the way that he dealt with world leaders in a relational way and, and, and also in a transactional way, you know, in a way that would benefit us and cost us less money and put our sons and daughters in less danger. That's what we want right now. And, and and it's interesting, we don't have to look back into ancient history. It was just a few years ago. And I think that's why you're seeing so much dissatisfaction with Joe Biden. Um, it's not just that his policies are bad. It's that we can still remember when times were good. No, and it was <laughs> just a few a uh, short years ago when we realized how good it actually could be prior to the pandemic. Um, one other thing I want to talk about, Rachel, is the Second Amendment um, and how important the ability yeah. to arm yourself and defend yourself in all kinds of situations that could arise. Now, Israel has some tight gun restrictions in the country. And since this uh, Hamas terror attack, the li- the licensing for people to get a firearm and protect themselves has been loosened dramatically. But when you live in a rough region, um, like the Jewish people do in Israel, 
I would think the policy would be, I want everyone to have a gun. I want everyone to be able to potentially carry a gun, have a concealed carry permit, because should something break out, I want good people with firearms to be able to take action. And a lot of the a lot of the folks when the attacks happened again one was at a music festival of course they the the young people there would not have had firearms but in in other parts of the attack there there weren't firearms in the homes where you could fight back I just think that that is a lesson for all of us to say private gun ownership is so important for your protection and we don't know where threats come from we don't know who's going to threaten us or our families but you want to have that ability that right that power to equal the playing field with your attacker and defend yourself and your family. And that comes from a gun. And our, our founders were so brilliant to guarantee us that right in the Second Amendment. It is under assault. It's under attack from kindergarten through 12, higher ed. They're all going after our gun rights. But this is, this is a lesson in how important it is for us to fight to preserve that right in this country. Because you never want to be stuck with rocks and sticks when someone else has an AR. Never. Well, they had saved from, Sean. And it was interesting, you know, some of them were breached. Um, I'm surprised they didn't have guns inside of their safe rooms. It just, it's all so crazy. But if you think about what's happening at the southern border, we do know that terrorists have been working with the cartels um, to get not just themselves over the border, but also arms. Um, as well, we know that there are hundreds of known terrorists, those are the ones we know who have crossed the border. And I know that during the day of jihad, uh, our country was on high alert because there was there was fears and chatter that something could happen. And you just have to look at what happened in Israel and go, wow, I mean, if you're living on the southern border, but at this point anywhere in the United States, you know, and you want to wreak absolute terror and chaos on the United States, a terror cell could absolutely show up at your door and do exactly the same or attempt to do exactly the same thing that was done um, in these kibbutzes. And I think that, you know, every American, as you said, Sean, should be thinking about that as a possibility. We, we do have terrorists in our country that have come across the southern border. We know that. And so, uh, you know, if you're a man listening to this, especially um, the father of a family, the mother of a family. It's your responsibility to make sure that your family is ready um, should should something happen. You know, one one point seven million gotaways. So people that come across the southern border. By the way, if you come if you come into our country, the easiest thing for you to do is turn yourself into border patrol. They give you a, a ride, a cot, a phone, um, a plane yeah. ticket. I mean, food, yeah. water. I mean, th- th- this you made it. And you turn yourself into Border Patrol. That, that, that's shameful that that's the status of Border Patrol and Border Security today. But 1.7 million didn't want to come into contact with Border Patrol. They wanted to sneak into the country. And so either it's I'm, uh, I'm a, a murderer, I'm a drug dealer, I'm a sex trafficker, or I'm a terrorist. There's a combination of all of those things of people who've got into the country and we have no clue who they are. And that's the problem. That's the risk. That's the danger. And, and my, my true belief, Rachel, is if you look at what happened after 9-11, our rights were diminished. Our rights were reduced under the auspices of security. You had the Patriot Act and Democrats at the time thought, well, the Patriot Act, 
that could be used against American citizens, and we're concerned. And Republicans are like, no, it'll never be used against the American citizenry. It's only used for foreign entities. Well, now <laughs> we've seen the Patriot Act is being used against American citizens, right? So the liberals back then were spot on. You saw during COVID, our rights and freedoms were reduced. If there is another attack on the U.S., a terror attack, even though it will be Joe Biden's fault because he opened up our borders, I guarantee you the effort to reduce our liberty and freedom for the exchange of, and this is in quotes, more security, that push is going to be made because this is all about taking away rights, freedom, liberty, I think democracy. Um, and so again, it's important that we all sit with our eyes wide open. We vote our values. We vote for intelligence and smart people. And then we prepare ourselves. Um, again, making sure if you can if you can own a firearm in the place that you live, you should own one. I, I went from Wisconsin where there's very limited rules um, in regard to what kind of firearm you can own. And I went to New Jersey and all of a sudden you can't have an AR there. You can't have a magazine, you know, uh, 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 that'll hold more than 10 rounds. Um, a whole bunch of restrictions. Um, New York is even crazier than New Jersey. So you got to look at where you live uh, and what kind of firearm you can have. But having something uh, to protect yourself. Uh, that that was one of the first things I thought about if that was me and my family. And I had a, I thought it was dangerous enough to have a safe room. I would want a firearm as well. I would double up on that security. So listen, a lot of things going on, Rachel, no doubt. A lot of these problems. Should we get a safe room? No, I got a, I got a, I, I got a safe with guns in it. So <laughs> that's my, I got a safe with guns. That's exactly right. right. But, but again, <laughs> I, I think it's important. We, we point the finger of the instability in the world, the chaos in the world, and it comes to very liberal, radical policies of the last two Democrat presidents, a weakness um, on the foreign stage, uh, the, just the picture of, in the video of, of Barack Obama bowing to foreign leaders. Joe Biden is doing the same thing, bowing to the rest of the world, making America weaker. Um, and then you get chaos. Listen, great conversation. Um, if you like our podcast, uh, you can rate, review, subscribe. Wherever you get your podcast, you can always find us at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcast, you can uh, subscribe to our podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, uh, you'll get a notice of whenever our podcast drops so you know. Um, always a pleasure to have you tune in. Uh, again, three days a week right now. But I've been teasing it. We've been teasing this for like months. It's a deep tease at this point, Sean. It's a deep tease because, it, listen, it is, we're at the cusp of going <laughs> five days a week. Um, we're excited about that. Um, it's going to be fun uh, to, to bring the kitchen table uh, to a couple more days a week. And there's, uh, as Rachel and I have these conversations, Rachel has like a list a mile long of, of topics we want to cover and stories we want to do. Uh, and just three days doesn't do it. So um, we're going to, we're going to, Ramp that up, Rachel. All right. I'm looking forward to it. All right, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.